Hello and welcome listeners. Before we jump into this interview, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the GoFundMe fundraiser. If you're enjoying this series, uh, if you care about our planet and sustainability and want to do something about climate change, please um, take a look at the show notes. There will be a link to the fundraiser. You know, if you, you know, if anything that you'd like to give, it's much appreciated. And thank you to all that have given so far. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hello, and I am joined by Steve Cole, captain of Team Scotland 2, Scott-ish. Uh, and even though Steve lives in London, if I recall correctly, I have been assured that his accent was incomprehensible enough to qualify him for Team Scotland. How's it going, Steve? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've had to moderate my accent since I moved to London, obviously, because people don't understand me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, so this, this is the moderate tone, though I have been in the public class week. Okay. Well, I, I'm curious. Was that part? Was that part of the? Uh, what was the Scottish team uh, selection process? Was that one of the tests? The 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 tests are pretty pretty rigorous. I think is uh, are you available? Okay. Uh, are you in some way? I think Team Scottish ended up being that because obviously I uh, don't live in Scotland anymore. Uh, Pash is not uh, Scottish throughout his ancestries the subtle hint is in his uh, ukrainian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then because we had a couple of drops we've ended up with an outright ringer in uh, in connor rooney as i say i didn't think he was scottish but no but he fulfills the key criteria for me in a ringer which is not being english <laughs> yeah, as a, as he's, he's a he's a canadian a canuck irishman so uh, you know at least covers that base for us we had a couple of dropouts just with the way it fell together. We thought Bryce would be on the team, but yeah. <laughs> but he was a traitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that more. Um... Well, <laughs> <laughs> is he, or is it the most Scottish decision to take the free trip? That's true. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> um, all right, so let's. We're going to talk about the uh, the kind of the big thing in the in the room that uh, hashtag Alks are bad. Um, and you chose to play them for WTC. So maybe you can explain, one, why they're bad, and two, why do you play such a terrible team, and then three, tell us all about the terrible models you're playing uh, for WTC and why you brought those terrible models. I mean, yeah, that's that, that's fair. They, I mean, they are bad. I mean, so I, I ended up with those terrible models because no, or new Charles Nursa, Charles Nursa before from playing Epic. And he said, "Go fun game." So I, a bit of indecisiveness, suggested to my wife that I'd be quite interested. Why doesn't she choose some models? So she chose the terrible alchemist team based purely on aesthetics, and I put them for back of season three. And I think the the sort of alks are bad thing is a slight joke, particularly in the London meta. I think. Uh, where they, you know, they definitely weren't the strongest before the 4.2 patch. I think some of the hot takes around that they are saying worse hunters is, is where that joke's where that's come from. Thing because you know they have some similar characteristics. They have a very defensive captain and offensive footballing captain. So Steve, uh, before you had some classic uh, a AP audio issue quality. Um, difficulties uh you were talking about why alks are bad and uh kind of talking through that so you were talking specifically about the comparison to hunter 
Yeah, so I mean, they're, they're bad for a number of reasons, you know, low health pools, that sort of thing. Uh, I think some of the hot takes around them in 4.2 were that they were sort of like a less good version of Hunters, um, in that they have one sort of very dodgy ball retrieval captain who has some movement shenanigans, and they have one quite defensive uh, feisty captain, uh, who I also think is a captain who's probably less defensive than some people think. So that's that's sort of where that running joke has come from i think particularly it's it's a thing in the london meta partly because i you know i play them a couple of other people do and i think the the main difference perhaps between the alchemists hunters comparison is actually that midas just has much better ball retrieval kit than hunters mm-hmm. so while scatha while scatha herself is a very good captain and edge is a very good footballing squaddy they lack range ball retrieval and they lack any way particularly of dealing with unpredictable movement. So, whereas Alchemists have much more two-inch melee, they have actual viable dodges rather than viable pass-based dodges, and they have Crucible, and they now have Kami. So, you know, the sort of joke around that is you know, basically that they, you know, they're, they're pretty good. I think they're probably the more, one of the more underrated major guilds they still have weaknesses you know um they still mm-hmm. aren't great into farmers as i found out at the weekend when uh bryce uh, slapped me about quite handily with them at the london gt but they they are a far stronger guild i think than people think they are and they're a lot of fun i think the the, the change up just between playing a guild that has only one captain who you can just about flex into doing different things to having actually two very distinct captains is is yeah, I think I think the uh, 4.2 change for Midas and the associated uh, squatty changes, which well, is actually just vet catalyst, but um, definitely opens up the team a lot more. You go from, as you said, smoke with mm, somewhat multiple play styles, uh, but and then a captain who was kind of very, very, very niche in Midas. Um, and now you have playing Midas and still the goal, super goal scoring, aggressive kind of captain, but also playing him in a kind of mixed or takeout oriented way. And then you still have smoke. Who did yeah, change? Exactly. And, and Vet Catalyst gives you a way of punching through tough hide, which the team only really had smoke to do before. And she does it in a, because it's a gun, it's, you're not generating momentum from it. It's not as proactive a play style in that sense. So yeah, mm-hmm. it makes it, it's a, it's a big change. Then changes are very, very positive. Mm-hmm. So do you so want to maybe my best efforts? To... <laughs> yeah, go for it. Your best efforts. Like my best efforts to campaign for, you know, that they, <laughs> that everyone should just ignore them and they should remain the sleeper team in the meta. We've ended up with, you know, Timmy taking them to WTC and EDEC taking them to WTC. So I think they're, you know, the cat's out of the bag on it, really. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, the cat kind of came out of the bag for the U.S. team when a couple of us just uh, randomly played some uh, Midas games just to, uh, to you know, see what was going on. And, uh, yeah, it, like, worked, despite not knowing. Like, I, you know, I was playing against one of the U.S. team players, and I won the game without, like, actually knowing um, what I was doing, which was pretty good. <laughs> It's, it's it's the best way to win, I think. It's always uh, you know to not know what you're doing and win despite that is always the ideal winning condition, I think. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, it made me feel really good the other day when I and I, this is this is both embarrassing but I think hilarious. Um, the first like three or four games of Steeljaw that I played, uh, I only would ever push one model with bait. <laughs> 
<laughs> like just totally yeah. forgot that there's a second model that you can push. Like it wasn't always relevant, but I just literally forgot that there was a second model. And then I was like, that's right. I can push two models. That's, that's cool. Wish I knew yeah, what I was like doing. Scal- <laughs> it's like the scalpel push when you see people first playing scalpel and they're like, I've used the push once to push this person and then like, oh, I can keep doing this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah this is super good. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of people when they're playing scalpel, they're like, okay, I think I'm going to push that model. And then after the game, they're like, okay, tell me how to use scalpel. I was like, so you see how you pushed that one model and it was pretty good? You know, you could do it a bunch of different times and you can do it in really inconvenient ways that make me sad and make your opponent sad yeah you should do that every turn <laughs> yeah and you get the occasion people worry about oh but it'll take clock up you're like it's really good and i then have to move my models back which mm-hmm. will take my clock yep 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 um so maybe talk about some of the terrible models you're playing and why why you brought them so i basically i would genuinely play if i could take 14 models i would take every single model in the alchemist guild in some situations mm-hmm. so i'm i'm not I, th- I feel like the anti-brewers in that sense like all of the models are good um, <laughs> probably the closest to or all of the models have like parity i guess in certain scenarios that would be the the less flip way of uh, putting it i think um core generally my team is if I'm playing a more footballing styles, I will all, almost always play Crucible because range ball retrieval is super good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crucible is an incredibly influence efficient model. Um, I'll then generally take a uh, Vet Cat if I'm playing with Midas because, you know, the cat is just has very high damage output. It's a thing that alchemists are limited on. Um, and it has good access to knockdown. And then usually there's a sort of balance between taking one of Vitriol or now Kami. Uh, you and I were sort of chatting a little bit offline about this, and I think the the primary difference is that Vitriol's like base stats are better. She is a better goal scorer than Kami. She is harder to kill than because she has access to clone and she has a different a two inch melee, so it's gauge her without being engaged by her. So she usually gets to counter attack, and she has a four eight kick, which if you're trying to score goals is really important. Whereas Kami has a you know three six kick, so her stats are good, but not the same. But but the thing Kami does have access to is incredible mobility. Turns out, uh, who knew that place effect? Oh, I think I lost you, Steve. Come back to me. Completely lost you, if you can still hear me. You're making me do so much editing. You're terrible. of that or the more sort of uh, familiar i guess small gun line team just depending on partly on matchups and partly on how i feel okay so steve that was a wonderful uh wonderful little uh blurb that you said there and our listeners caught about the first couple of seconds of it and then the end of it um so we're gonna repeat what you just said there you were talking about <laughs> uh you were talking about kami and her mobility and you said who knows uh who knew that places could be so good yeah i mean who thought the place effects could be strong after 
after Miner's Gate in uh, mm-hmm. France, and you know, and, and the number of them that being released. So she's a very, very effective ball retrieval tool, and especially I think because defending the ball the way that you often play in that is to you know to use distance and a good model for defending the ball, and then put a line of your own players between that model and the opposition team and mm-hmm. Cammy can just bypass that essentially. So yeah. I played for the London Grand Tournament, I basically made a sort of pact with myself that I would play the sort of new shiny models in every single game. So I played Bidus, I played Fet Cat and I played Cammy in every game uh, there, got to the final which was, you know, and I got a bit lucky with matchups and things like that as well, but there wasn't one that was just like outright bad for Midas, but that was the thing that I think surprised me about playing I mean, she feels like she's got quite a lot of depth and complexity, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to say Vit- as opposed to Vitriol, who's a very very linear player. Yeah, well, so one of the things I was uh, talking about with you, why uh, in this, you know, we can talk about the regional differences, and you mentioned you were thinking between like Vitriol and Kami and talking about their goal scoring potential, and I'm looking at Kami if I was going to be playing uh, Alks going forward and putting her in the lineup basically almost every time and. The reason for that is uh, only incidentally her goal scoring potential because I think I think it's good, but I think it does have some of the limitations you you mentioned. Um, but where I found she was just amazing is you put four influence on her and she generates almost guaranteed four momentum uh, if you go into the right target and then four conditions and four damage, um, which is just a lot of setup for vet cat um, and. Then in two, actually. Uh, but, like, just a lot of, a ton of setup, uh, even for Midas for pulling Fulmination off the next turn. So, I just, I love the fact that you could get conditions out on multiple models in, and also just not in, like, the normal kind of um, way that alchemists get them out. Because besides Midas's legendary, the rest of ways alchemists get conditions out are either AoEs, uh, damaging a model, or you know, proximity to a model that smoke, uh, you know, uh, targets for, for character, uh, character plays. So like a lot of their condition giving is kind of in one area while Kami's condition giving is basically in a 13 inch bubble. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's like targeted rather than a sort of zonal as in, the, I guess the, if you're going with the comparison to Vitro, you know, the, the heroic is a four inch pulse. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it is a different way of doing it, and it allows you to do it in a slightly more surgical way, and it gives you a lot of options. And I, that's the thing that I do like about her, and I like about the team as a whole, because you genuinely feel like you you generally feel like you have options and you have agency. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is um, like, yeah, so you go feel for like it. You can take advantage of errors in a perhaps different way. So before that, I was mainly playing blacksmiths, and I think had those changes not taken, if, if we were still in 4.1 going to WTC, I'd almost certainly been playing blacksmiths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the models that you left out for WTC or, or who, who are your two that you had to drop? I left out Veteran Calculus, mm-hmm. um, which again, I would play her. There are matchups I play her in. I play her on the receive into farmers every time. She's still the safest turn one goal player into mm-hmm. any receive on the receive into any team because of the four inch dodge and the three eight kick and sticky bomb can be very effective with flask because it's a it's a movement debuff that you can bounce on to say millstone or take on vet harmony or anything yep. like that 
and the other player I've dropped is Original Catalyst, uh, which again I also slightly regret, but it's uh, there's enough just about get away without having mm-hmm. because you know you you can get the condition pull on turn one from Venom and even just about from Mercury or Original Calculus and then Veteran Catalyst does a lot of the things that Original Catalyst does but you lose out on the pushes and you lose out on the burning so you, it's it feels like good design in terms of the guild that I don't if someone came to me and you know for strength someone and they said I've taken Original Catalyst and Veteran Calculus on my team I've dropped a Nazure and Mercury it doesn't feel wrong Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like with some other guilds we'd be like, oh, why are you taking that model? Why are you, well, you know, this is the obvious drop. It feels like that is a perfectly reasonable decision. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so one of the things we we did talk about offline was that um, you've brought up that you tend to think about how you might or could lose a game uh, going into uh, you know into a tournament matchup, tournament round, etc. Can you maybe explain what's going through your head and do you find that to be helpful to you to get in the way maybe a little bit of both yeah it's i guess it's slightly like you know you hear a lot of podcasts where people say like they you know they accentuate the positives and they focus on that sort of thing i i guess it's partly a work related thing like i work in sort of uh, in strategy so a lot of my work is around risk and mm-hmm. around, you know good project management being about anticipating things that can go wrong and doing everything you possibly can to mitigate that so i tend to have that approach uh, in terms of how i play board games anyway i'll think about what could go wrong i'll think about you know what is good or what's strong on my opponent and i'll often i'll often play in quite a reactive manner i guess uh so i'll you know i'll wait to see what my opponent does before i do things which naturally lends you to think about what you know what could go wrong and what is your opponent trying to do rather than i guess having like a very rigid strategy in which i'm going to do these things on turn one and these things on turn two and if that comes off i'm just going to steamroll and do you find it to be helpful I I don't know how to play any other way. I guess I've never known so, anything else. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to be me, <laughs> like as much as I try and have sort of transcendental experiences into other people's bodies and things like that. It's it's generally hard not to do that. So I I do. I guess there's an interesting thing on the sort of role better podcast the other week where uh, one of the guys on that was talking about how they worry about going into events, and I definitely worry going mm-hmm. into events. Um, so you know I. If I'm concerned about that, often not sleep and things like that, or not sleep particularly well. But it, I don't find it to be a particular hindrance when I play. I, you know, I don't find it sort of makes me particularly nervous when I play. I have games where you, you might be a bit like, oh, it's this person playing Bryce for the first time the other week, for example, was different. Like, oh, okay, I don't know, I, yeah, I, yeah, that sort of thing. But I mm-hmm. don't find it a massive hindrance. I don't think so. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Duh. Don't get me started on the Roll Better podcast. I, I really wanted to jump on there and do some some therapy, uh, but that would be unethical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting dilemma that they have, though, because you know, it's about yes. caring about what you do, and it's about, I guess the other element of this is um, my background is slightly different in terms of like playing board games. I've only been playing tabletop games for maybe five years. I played a bit when I was a teenager. So most of my experience comes from uh, basically playing sport and particularly playing football. 
mm-hmm. you know, where you where you have as a team those conversations in advance. You talk about what the opposition are going to do. You talk about how you're going to try and nullify what people are trying to do, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you do all that work, and then you lose anyway because they're younger and fitter than you. So I, I don't <laughs> have a particularly a particularly difficult relationship with winning or losing. Mm-hmm. Where there's a lot of people who do get very hung up on winning or losing and put a lot more worth on it. But if you've played, you know, three games of football a week since you were five, you've lost a lot of games of football. Mm-hmm. Unless you're maybe Lionel Messi or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's a good point. I think that's something uh, I've, de- I've definitely uh, discussed other otherwise. But it's it's all about the um, kind of. Uh, beliefs and worth and values that you put on to uh, your performance when you're playing uh, any kind of miniature game, any kind of competitive game, whether it's miniature or otherwise, but is like, what does it mean for me um, in terms of like my beliefs about myself uh, and value that I have for myself to win or lose? And it, and it's, you know, it's sometimes people can get caught up in the, and the reason they might feel nervous is because they're, if I lose this game, I am less good of a player. Right. Or like it means something negative or like I am not skilled Uh, and that can that that sucks. Nobody wants to be it. We all want to be um, great at the things that we do, especially things we do for fun. Like, you know, you could do if you're doing a job and you don't like it or aren't particularly great at it, but it's what you need to do to get, you know, make ends meet that you'll do it. Um, Ideally, you would like it, but like you'll do it. But if it's something that you do because, quote unquote, you know, it's a hobby and you're having fun theoretically you want to uh you want to have success you know you want to have good experiences and a lot of people can tie that to how they do their performance yeah and it's hard to have i guess like such a stark judgment about something that you care about that's the other thing is people really care about their hobbies you know they Mm -hmm. they they care about their painting they care about their games and so having something that says no you lost or no you won is a difficult thing to reconcile with that uh, that level of concern or passion about something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, good discussion. I want to kind of transition us over um, because a lot of this is about our international experiences that I know the very least that you were in uh, Belgium earlier this year for Belgian Nationals, and I'm not sure um, if you made it out to other non-UK-based uh, nationals, but I uh, wanted to kind of ask you about how that uh, event was, because that was a lot earlier in the year. That was back in February, it looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so how was the event, and I guess what are some of the unique things, um, you know, food, culture, people, food, uh, that you're looking forward to for the WTC, since it is also in Belgium this year? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I used to work in Belgium quite a lot when I did sort of lobbying work with the EU, so I'm you know, reasonably familiar with it, and I've got a few friends at it. The Belgian Nationals was a great event. I mean, I, I would recommend it to absolutely anyone. It's probably the best non-team guild ball event I've been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it was in a sort of you know amazing sort of 60s sort of modernist community centre out in some woods in in sort of uh, eastern Belgium. The as you say, the food was just fantastic. The Kim, who is the guy who org one of the organizers of WTC, they'd done mm-hmm. a great job. They had a load of community people. They, you know, all sort of homemade meals. You would, it's Belgium, so you would break for having cake at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon each day. They would have all sorts, you know, if you have a, I don't have particularly sweet tooth, but a lot of people I was there with do, and they were all over that. You know, they, you have, 
you have great beer, the Belgian guys are super friendly, uh, and it was a really nice mix of that sort of, you know, when you have those sort of central or North European locations, you've got players coming from France, you've got players coming from Germany, from Sweden, um, you know, from the UK, of course, as well. So it was just a really nice mix of people got to play you know, a couple of German guys with play uh, a couple of French guys. Uh, so it was a really nice, interesting way of seeing different play styles, how different people play, talking to all different groups of people about the game, uh, staying in quite an interesting venue. So it, it really sort of made me like, oh, great, it's in Belgium again this year. It's not the same venue as on the coast this year, but I'm, yeah, I'm always super excited to go to Belgium. I think they really good job of running their events they just put they put so much thought into sort of every element of it mm-hmm. i think seems uh you know and, and i say this as someone who's sort of uh partly running a w a smaller wtc event in uh, scotland this weekend um you know the level of thought they the belgians have put into their event is beyond what i would see a lot of tournaments just doing Mm. And you know what? I thought you were playing in the event this weekend, so you are running that. That's a, a an epic 40k event, correct? Or whatever they yeah, actually so, officially call epic. <laughs> yeah, whatever the epic epic is. But yeah, I'm so sort of playing, and uh, it's it's it rotates and who it's hosted by. So it's not got you know obviously it's a you know not a supported game anymore. So it tends to be rotated around host sure. countries each year. So Scotland's starting to host it. I'm on the Scotland team, so I'm doing a little bit for that. It's mostly. Gotcha. My teammates, uh, because because as you said at the start, I don't actually I don't actually live in Scotland. So while I'm playing for the Scotland <laughs> team at the Guildhall WTC, I am probably more of a product of the London and the Southeast meta. Sure. Okay. Gotcha. Um, switching back to WTC though, what are you? You mentioned some of the great things about uh, you know, Belgium and events there, but what are you most excited about for WTC this year? So I'm a big fan of team events. I just I just really like the it's probably from the football background. I really like just it not being about yourself and your sole performance and it being having that balance and the sort of camaraderie of it. I went to WTC last year, played for the UN team, really, really enjoyed it. I thought that just the enthusiasm and the mix of different sort of styles and people that are there. And I think also actually like one of the things that sort of you know communication things like the internet do is they they often create a very easy way of having oppositional sort of oppositional comms with each other so this idea that you know americans play defensively and europeans play football (laughs) rather than it being far more complicated than that and different people play in different ways and different metas play in different ways and different people play different ways within those metas and i think wtc is a very good way of actually realizing like understanding what actually is different and what is the same and is it you know it's and understanding the different skill levels and approaches and having those sort of conversations in person mm-hmm. i think is a very different thing to having those conversations perhaps online or on you know forums like facebook and things like that which can be very good at people making absolutist statements people trying to shout them down and then going away and chuntering about it themselves in smaller groups whereas when you're with people you get a much better handle on what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, how it works, how it differs from what you're doing or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I definitely uh, agree there. And I, I totally don't know what you're talking about, about talking, uh, talking about things online loudly. Doesn't happen. I've never seen it in anything. I think it's, uh, <laughs> like, I've, I've certainly there. never done it. Certainly not. I, <laughs> you, you, I'd never hear you shit post ever. Uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's never happened. It's and never I, happened. And, I, and I've certainly, 
I've not spent the last three months telling people that the team I play are terrible. So that's uh, good. Neither of us would do a thing like that. Who uh-huh. would do that? Just, Wait, just bad people. Quick question though, because now I'm, it's bringing up some memories for me, and I need to live in the n- nostalgia. Last year's WTC. Uh, did you guys play us? Did you? We played a UN team, and I want to. And I know there was somebody on it. I forget if it was you or not. No, I think we played USA three. Okay, we played Chris's team. We okay, played your co-host. Gotcha. Um, I don't. We were the UN team that did well. So rude. The other UN team was my uh, single like, co host, Andrew Jones, who I think introduced the podcast to saying that. So it's uh, fair, fair. Yeah. But wait, but there was there was a, a UN team with another player from England who I thought was named uh, from the UK, who I thought was named Steve that we played. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. We definitely didn't play. We definitely didn't play you guys. Yeah, no, no. So maybe you have a uh, a, a doppelganger. I, that, I mean, the the dream scenario at last year's WTC because I took um, Brewers was that I would play an on-stream Brewers mirror match against Steve Margotson, in which we would only refer to, and it would, we'd have to make it a perfect mirror and would only refer to the players in the third person. So it'd be Steve's going to move Steve's veteran decimate to hit Steve's veteran decimate just to see how long Jamie Giblin could cope with that in terms of commentary. But it never happened, which is a, that is, a great loss. That is indeed very much a great loss. That's sad. Um, terrible. A viewing pleasure. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, was the event worthwhile? I don't know. Not with that. Not without that. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, so... What is Team Scotland 2's plan for beating the other Scottish teams should you end up having to play each other in the finals? I mean, it's, it's obviously super like Our main plan for playing Scotland 1 is probably to curl up in a ball and cry. I think they are... Well, they're very good players, and actually, weirdly, Scotland 1 probably are one of the worst sets of matchups for the things that we've taken. So we have had some conversations about it, and it's it's a tricky one for us. But I think I think we are in terms of not necessarily in terms of player skill, but in terms of mat, they are very good players. They're one of the, one of the favourites for a reason. But I think in terms of matchups, I think it's probably them and USA two that represent probably the worst matchups for us. Okay. Um, so we don't we don't have a great plan in them. Scotland three, we're a bit more free and easy about. Um, uh, basically, I don't want to play butchers, and that I think is pretty much as far as we've got with that one. Hmm. Okay. I was hoping you had. Uh, I was hoping you had a better like off the field strategy. Like I don't know. Uh, oh, I mean, get I mean, get Fraser really drunk. Get uh, I don't know somebody else not really drunk. I, I really don't know how how it works there. But Fraser's alcohol tolerance is pretty good. So is it okay? Yeah, he was pretty wasted when he won Belgian Nationals. Like, um, so he, yeah, his, his is pretty good. I mean, obviously, there's always the thing of talking to Steve Easton about his dice. That's always a worthwhile, you know, and strong gambit. So he can roll a lot of good dice when he doesn't. He, you know, that that's one of the routes into his otherwise sort of fairly, fairly sort of a, what's the term for it? Im, impertable facade. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is a pretty much a foolproof plan for beating Stevie Easton. Just like literally say, "Oh, mate, sorry about that roll." Even if it's not a bad roll, just keep saying yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's a good. If it's com- <laughs> yeah, if it's completely average, just completely average. Oh, 
That's un. That's unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> that's rough, mate. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't think I'd roll one hit using veteran catalyst. Oh wow, I've got so lucky. Oh, maybe my dice are loaded. Like that. That seems like a strong plan. <laughs> I do. I do like that. Okay. Uh, and then same same question. If you have to play uh, team Steamforged, and you know, which is at least one Bryce percent Scottish. It is one. It is one third Bryce percent Scottish. Um, I think Steamforged are possibly one of the dark horse teams for the whole thing uh they did you know they did very well last time uh they've got a number of really good players so i mean obviously the key things would be to try and uh make perkins understand the concept of empathy which i think would lead to him shutting down that's a good idea uh, so, good. so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a big one you know if we can convince him he'd accidentally harmed one of us in some way i think that might cause him some sort of problem there you um, go. In terms of, yeah, Bryce, I, I at least feel like, uh, having played him the other week, I played really badly in that game, so I feel like if I play Bryce again, I can't play that badly again. So that's my okay. plan, is, is not to play really, really terribly if we face them. So uh-huh. That's, that's a good plan. The main sort of, yeah, I mean, I, I know you've spoken to some of the other teams, but as you can see, we're not, we've not done the most planning for this um, and I think we're possibly the most overranked team at the event so we're, we're sort of doing uh, planning and relevant to how we perceive our own level maybe rather than where Longshanks positions us I, I like that I like that you're bringing your uh, you're bringing that little bit of uh, self-deprecation and negativity you know, or, or as a risk, risk away. Uh, what what did you call it before? Like risk consideration risk or management. Yeah, risk yeah. management. Risk there you management. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like or, it. Or or a fairly laissez-faire attitude. I think it might be the better way of putting it. There you go. Uh, so, who are some of the people that you would specifically like to play for whatever reason this year, um, and why? I so genuinely, I would love to play any of the top guys there. Like I. Uh, you know, I sort of uh, say frivolous things about hobbies, but you, you you get better by playing good players. Like you mm-hmm. learn more by playing good players. I w- I would happily play and lose every single game if I was playing. You know, all the usual suspects of Timmy, Alex, Mets, uh, Robin Barbier, uh, Edek, Bartek, all those sort of guys. Uh, if guys in USA, too, Frank Kamaitis, people like that. I would play any of them. Like, and that's the main thing I want to do is just play as many good players as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have it. I don't have anyone I particularly am like calling out or anything like that. Also, I think there's a lot of good players who are going under the radar on some of the other teams. You know, so people, someone like Wolfgang Weber, for example, mm-hmm. looks like on paper looks like an absolutely fantastic player. I'd be really interested to play against him. This guy's won what three national events this year, including German nationals. It's pretty so, good. Yeah. You know, you talk about some of the other teams, like, you know, like Austria won seemed like a real dark horse to me in that sense. Uh, Hungary won as well. So I had the captain of Hungary one was on my UN team last year, a guy called uh, Marco Kutlaka, who mm. is both uh, a very good player and a very handsome man. And I'd, I'd love to get a game in against him as well. So any of those sort of guys, I think that that's the big one for me. I don't feel like there's a particular person or a particular matchup I want to play, but I just want to play as many different, as many players from different countries and different methods who I've not played before. <laughs> so you don't want to go through the WTC and play uh, Team England like three times? No, and especially because like a lot of those guys are locals. Like I play <laughs> quite a bit with like sort of Coomber and Charles and Dan Howard and, and obviously England three basically are the London team. 
Yeah. Um, and again, they're a very good team. They've got some good players there. And I think, I guess the interesting one, you talked a bit about the idea of the perceptions of different metas and things like that. I think like a lot of the players, like Valerian Langton, particularly on England 3, is probably... Uh, would surprise a lot of American players if, uh, with regard to the sort of stereotype about the UK meta, and he is he plays a lot like how the American meta often mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tells I, people it plays in that sense. Listen, I'm I I I love I'd love to see it. He didn't prove it to me. England didn't prove it to me last time. They were just jamming goals around the field. Um, so you know, I want to see, except for <laughs> oh, yeah. except for Easton uh, and Fraser, but again, they don't count even though they were on Team England last year. Yeah, that's fair. No, no, I think they, I think it's a mix, different mix of guys. Yeah. <laughs> no. England is, for sure, for sure. It's big enough. Big enough. <laughs> oh, it's of like course. I mean, it's the biggest meta by far, so yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> You'd hope so. You'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, all right. What are your top three predictions? You already kind of mentioned teams you thought would be good and dark horses and whatnot, but let's, I'm putting you on the line. What are your, what's one, two, and three? This year, oh, good question. I think it's. I think Germany one are going under the radar a bit. You know, I mean, under the radar slash have won the last two WTCs. So yeah, sure, they're the underdog. But, <laughs> but that's what I mean. If you but if you listen to the previous, yeah, I've listened to a couple of the other interviews you've done of this, and and no one's saying Germany won. Sure, 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 yeah. sure. The people, and it makes sense. Like the USA won look very strong. Scotland won look very strong. So I think if I was to pick a top three, it'd probably be some combination of Germany, Scotland and the USA. But I actually think there is a, a sort of deeper pool than that as well. And I do oh think, yeah, for sure. I do think I think there's some upsets in sort of Hungary, Austria, New Zealand, those sort of guys as well. Nice. Alright, anything else that you would like to uh, discuss? Any shout outs? Anything um, other than people should have should come to your epic tournament, although it's kind of late since you're already there. <laughs> a bit late booking a bit late booking <laughs> no, no. no I think that's uh, <laughs> I mean I'd love it if you got this up and someone booked a ticket from the US tonight um, that'll be interesting that would be uh, I think that would be I... literally impossible uh, <laughs> I guess if they tight. it would be tight it would be you'd pretty tight to, yeah you'd have to immediately post this and then someone jumps on a plate and finds an entire team to play with as well yeah, maybe. yeah. Maybe there's there someone. You go. Maybe there's someone out there, you know, in sort of JFK airport with three friends, <laughs> suitably drunk, and bags full of six millimeter orcs that really wants a trip to Glasgow. That could happen. Um, no, no, nothing particularly. I'm, I'm just looking forward to that, and obviously very sad that uh, you can't, you can't be there, Mike. And also just, I think, like, mm. uh, nice one for you for doing this. It's a really good cause that you're supporting. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, this is my way of uh, emotionally coping with with not being there this year so uh next year next year should be good i I won't change jobs buy a house and move across the country again um definitely not next year so no i've i've done just one of those things uh, (laughs) and that that feels like enough to have impeded me from potentially going so you know and if i moved across the country i'd only be moving like 400 miles or something yep 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 couple thousand in the wrong direction into a desert um <laughs> seems fine but but if you are you then in one of those like sort of geography case study unsustainable communities where you're getting your water piped in from sort of you know south of the mexican border or something so um one of the things that i have seen is like a cultural difference is that there are some people typically people who you know grew up not necessarily in the um highest socioeconomic uh classes but people in albuquerque will 
actually like um some will get really upset like if you waste water like if you're wasteful with water uh which is really interesting i don't think there actually is a, a shortage but it's just like living in a desert um does does change people i can imagine that would affect your mindset on water yeah I, my, my uh my wife's got pretty obsessed with sort of saving water and actively keeps grey water and things like that. Like, nice, yeah. It's kind of London. Yeah, London's quite wet though. Doesn't feel like an essential. Be- and she grew up in Wales. Oh uh, yeah. So like whether it's <laughs> whether it's Albuquerque, I can imagine. Yeah, you would you would be really into that. Yeah, a little bit a, a little bit drier. Although uh, we'll have to I'll have to do a, a piece on it. Everybody does need to to come out to Albuquerque because there is a reason why it's called the land of enchantment. It's pretty darn beautiful. Um, it's imagine a desert that's also really high up um, altitude wise, next to mountains and volcanoes. Uh, and also a river runs through it, so it's just got a, a little bit of everything going on. It's pretty pretty awesome. I mean, it sounds like a nightmarish hellscape. Uh, I, I can't imagine what the attraction would have been. Like that, that does sound delightful. Uh, also, very good. It's a very good Neil Young song, Albuquerque. I mean, I, I'm I'm in there on that alone. There you go. Have you heard the Weird Al song though? Uh, I don't know if I have. No. All right. He's not so much of a thing. He's not so much of a thing in the UK. That's. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> there's a reference to him in Naked Gun. That's probably the main thing that he's known for in the UK. And Naked Gun's quite an old film. Wait, when you say reference to, you mean like he literally sings the opening to it? Yeah, he's like in it, isn't he? he yeah, he's he, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, I think he's in it, but I know he sings the uh, he sings like an opening song to it, which that's is one of his parodies. Yeah. Uh, there you go. I'm there pretty sure that's Naked Gun. If it's it, it, if it's not. Naked Gun, it's one of those, like, types of movies. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you have to listen to the actual, uh, what's it called, Weird Al Albuquerque song. It's pretty good. It's, is it's, it a parody of Neil Young's Albuquerque, or is it? Totally I don't, I think it's actually one of his originals. I could be wrong, and it's a parody of something. It is not a parody of Neil Young's Albuquerque. Completely different in every single way, so. <laughs> <laughs> but also good. I'll sleep well knowing we've cleared that up. <laughs> yes, just, just the important questions that we're answering here. All right, yeah. Steve, it's been a pleasure and uh, good luck at both Epic and the WTC. And uh, maybe I'll have you back on after you guys have somehow managed to, uh, you know, fumble your way into first or place or just, you know, into any place, not last place. Yeah, I mean, Pash can carry us. It's fine. Like, uh, he'll sort all that out. There you go. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Same.